When the credits start rolling, but the movie keeps haunting you. Before, after. Then it's time to tune in to Dismembering Horror. We'll talk about what worked and also what didn't. We'll dissect every aspect. Maybe someone we shouldn't. He turned out to be a completely unreliable asshole. Take it away, boys. And thank you. Take it away. We shall. Hello, Tim Lynn. I mean, Tim. Hello, that's me. We got someone else to say hello to here. Let me introduce our guest, our very, very special guest. First time on our show for episode 181, covering crimes of the future. He is the co-host of the podcast Beyond the Screenplay, which do check out if you haven't. He is a fellow filmmaker to Tim and myself. He and I have uh, many a co-production, including he and I co-wrote the horror short Forced Falls together. So there's a bit of a a horror touch from him. And his sci-fi short film Stealing Time has now crossed over 4 million views on YouTube. So here he is, the man who just asks that films simply offer an experience above all else, Mr. Alex Cairos. Hello, Alex. Hi. I, I love that I came with like a like a defining quote. That was great. <laughs> I love it. You, you came here. You came with a quote. That's how we do it. So, Crimes of the Future, the new David Cronenberg joint following we covered uh, Shivers on our episode. That's right. Far. Yeah. And so, Alex, I think uh, just based off of... We watched together um, the 1999 Cronenberg film Existence once. We did. And just had a fun time doing that. Yes. So we thought, hey, new Cronenberg, perfect time to get Alex on the show here. Uh, But before that, anything else? And then we'll get into the trailer. No. Was Shivers uh, Cronenberg's first feature film? Uh, I believe it came before Rabid, yeah. So that means we are just... We have all of his catalog to watch between these two films. <laughs> yeah, it's actually kind of a fun, quite the quite the bridge, yeah. quite the career retrospective here. Um, actually, yeah, before we get into the trailer, Alex, how about what is your kind of context or relationship to horror? And then let's put it down into body horror slash Cronenberg. Mm, big question. Uh, yeah, I mean... So with horror, I'm not, you know, I'm not as hardcore as you guys where I, I am not going to just sit down and watch any horror movie ever because, uh, you know, I just see you know, there's so much, so much to watch and I like all sorts of genres and um, horror is one of them. And, and I think with horror, I, you know, my favorite horror movies are, as you kind of implied, Ryan, movies that give me a new experience. So you know, I can I can kind of get tired if it's just like, yeah, I'm just kind of looking for the genre tropes and just doing the same old thing again. I want a new experience. And that's why movies like Midsummer in recent years checked my boxes. That was a horror movie that I went to the movie theater and I sat down and I had a brand new experience and it was glorious. Um, and so that's always what I'm looking for in any movie. And I think a horror movie that can show me something new that can make me feel brand new feelings uh is always really exciting and 
you know, I did a recent Cronenberg encounter I had was not with David, but with his son um, watching Possessor, which I actually did enjoy quite a bit. Okay, we have not seen that. I really want to see it. Okay, yeah, you should watch it. Um, but yeah, so with David Cronenberg and you know body horror in particular, I you know I I think I've seen just a few of his films. I'm not actually a big aficionado of his movies, um, but Existence or however you're supposed to say it uh, is one of my favorites. I think of his because I think it, it it's a mix of the body horror and also more sci-fi mind bending kind of are we in a dream are we not in a dream where are we kind of uh storytelling and so that really like hit my sweet spot of both the kind of weird freaky you know technology and weird orifices and sex and but also like (laughs) video games and dreams and reality uh so that was a real sweet spot for me of Cronenberg and yeah this movie was interesting because it definitely harkens to some of those existence like videodrome vibes but also is a very different feeling than i remember <laughs> existence having so yeah lots yeah. to talk about had you seen any of his sort of non-body horror films yeah i saw history of violence okay. um I, I missed out on eastern promises and i haven't seen what's the other one with um robert pattinson yeah a lot of his recent movies i haven't seen um so yeah, it was. I, I've mostly just seen com- a couple of his early ones, his like body horror things and and history of violence. But I, I am not up on my Cronenberg, to be honest. <laughs> That's fine. We're just looking for context. Is all great. Uh, Well, I think that's the perfect opportunity then to move into our trailer to further set the tone here. So yeah, here we go from 2022, written and directed by one in the same David Cronenberg. Crimes of the Future. I can feel you pulling things around in there. It's a brand new organ. Never before seen. We've all felt that the body was empty. Empty of meaning. And we've wanted to confirm that. So that we could fill it with meaning. The world is a much more dangerous place now that pain has all but disappeared. Surgery is sex, isn't it? Is it? All right, <laughs> there we go. Those are the greatest hits of the movie. <laughs> yeah, I definitely avoided the trailer before seeing it. Um, cool, great. All right, from our trailer, we move on to our ratings per our rating system. So our guest, what would you tell Alex in regards to this film if you slash he hadn't seen this? Would you tell yourself to stream, or sorry, to avoid this film, stream it, rent it, or buy it? Mm. That, that's a, the, the stream versus rent is a hard middle ground to, to land on. Because yeah, the stream is like no cost besides the monthly fee you're already paying. So there's less commitment. So talking to myself, you're saying. Yeah, and you can maybe, you can maybe kind of arrive at that answer. How is your uh, experience going to see this film? I, I'm like I'm like between a stream and a rent 
like I think I it was worth seeing, but you know, if it was already available on Netflix, yeah, go go that route <laughs> is my my general uh, first instinct there. <laughs> great, great. How about you, Tim? I think I'm a I'm a rent. I'm like a hearty rent. It kind of does a lot of the stuff that I particularly like in mood and body horror or gratuity and like lots of layered uh commentary that i was getting that i quite liked but i don't think it's an ex it's like a great great movie which is sort of a weird way to think about it but i enjoyed watching it but like i don't think i would watch it a bunch so a rent i'm a rent yeah ditto my experience i think mirrored yours i mean it's just the you can just chew on this for metaphors just endlessly it feels like from so many angles and that's what really gets me on top of what like you said the mood uh i was a little held up in a couple regards which we'll get to in the appropriate section but um, I feel like just kind of I always make this clarification with a lot of our, uh, I don't know, a certain ilk of horror that we watch from like, maybe this was just because of a first time viewing. Like I saw um, David Cronenberg's Crash for the first time in the last year. And I mean, when it ended, I was just kind of like this, where I was just like, what do I, what do I feel <laughs> right now? What is this? But then that feeling just sticks so much with me, you know? I feel that way. I wa- I watch Eastern Promises like every couple of years now, and every time it ends, I'm like, "What was that?" <laughs> I love it, but that's it. Yeah. Okay. It's like, yeah, I really like that, but that's it. It's an inter- interesting way to <laughs> this one for sure. That was my okay. like. It ended, and I was like, "Oh, oh, all right. Yeah. Uh, what do I think?" Right. Well, and and that's why I say like sometimes that reaction for me means when then I know to view it from that lens on a second viewing, it's like, oh, the things I was maybe lacking are actually there because it was just so much on a first viewing. Yeah. Anyways, we'll get into that more, but we got a we got a stream and a couple rents here. All right, all right. And from here, just to sort of further, further, further get on the same page, we like to get on a <laughs> get on with the summary. <laughs> oh God! So, uh, Alex, we'd love to give you the honors to steer the ship, and this is really just so we all can get on the same page. We for our listeners who, whether they've heard, seen the film or not, all that, but we are here to play assist as well. So, as as you know, on on the briefer side. But uh, but do what you will. What what was this movie and what was the story of this film? It's this it's kind of unstructured um, wandering movie about a, you know, a not too distant future in which we have alleviated pain uh, from just the human experience and also infections. So the new sex is surgery, the new uh extreme experience is cutting up your body and you know changing your body in really extreme ways uh and there's this phenomenon of people who are going there's a term it was a advanced or something evolution uh accelerated evolution 
people growing new organs uh, that that seem to be of no use and are just kind of getting in the way. And so we got Viggo Mortensen plays Saul Tenser, who is uh, one of these accelerated evolution people who is growing new organs uh, for no apparent reason. And uh, he has a partner, uh, Caprice, played by Leia Seydoux, and she uh, is a surgeon who uses some uh, beetle-looking device that he lays (laughs) in to extract his unnecessary organs as part of a performance art piece. Uh, And they are famous performance artists in this weird new world in which people are doing things to their bodies because they don't feel any pain and no infections. And ultimately, the movie uh, ends up in a place where there's, I guess, kind of a political or social upheaval on the way because uh, perhaps these organs are growing for a reason because we are evolving to eat the industrial waste of our society in plastic and I guess the government doesn't want that to be known or wants to cover it up. And so there's kind of a conspiracy going on. And uh, maybe Saul Tenser uh, is one of these people who is growing the ability to eat plastic. And maybe he does at the end. <laughs> That's, that seems about right. <laughs> yeah, I honestly can't think what to add. <laughs> That, that's that's a really good description. Yeah, yeah. You got there's that that main one they're working up to at the end. Uh, we got K Stu as Timlin is sorry Tim. I won't get over that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is Timlin sort of has like kind of like has a is like a, a super fan, I guess of of uh both like both strangely a very like by the book government bureaucrat at times, but then also kind of aroused and excited about the performance art. And, you know, she's the one who says the line surgery is the new sex. Yeah. Um, Very interesting character. Her performance reminded me, it gave me twilight vibes, which I, which I found really funny. Just (laughs) great. Just the kind of (laughs) the deliveries and the lines was very twilighty. Well, whether that worked or not, I think we can get into because I think we're ready for our next big section here, all right? I'm ready. Cool. Here we go. What worked? What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? It worked like a charm, Smith. What worked? What worked? Yeah, so to to directly continue, was that a good or bad thing that reminded you of Twilight, her performance? Um, you know, it was it was weird at first because I was I was wondering why that she was making that choice. Um, But as the movie went on and it became clear that this was also really kind of uh, satire and and yeah, it felt very much like the movie was also a comedy then her really heightened performance made more and more sense and, and felt more and more right, especially in that scene where she kind of corners uh, Saul Tenser in that room. And that, that, that scene that ends with him saying, I'm not very good at the old sex. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there, it eventually kind of added up for me, but the movie in general, the performances were really all over the place as far <laughs> as you know, different actors kind of taking a different approach uh, as far as how seriously they seem to be taking the character or like how heightened the reality actually was. Uh, so yeah, it was a little bit disconcerting because I, I couldn't tell if she was in the same movie as Viggo Mortensen all the time or Leia Sedu or anybody. So uh, 
yeah, that both worked and didn't work for me. Uh, but as far as what worked for me, I I did like that this took place in a, a future with this what if. You know, it really was a movie exploring a what if question about the future and going to all the weird places that what if could lead. And I also did really appreciate how thematic it was. You know, it was obviously just really interested in exploring a lot of different themes and ideas. And that is, I think it's the movie's strong suit is is the thought provoking ideas and kind of like, yeah, the vibe and the kind of extreme internet malaise kind of feeling of it, of just we're in this like nihilistic, everything is extreme. So nothing is extreme, just wasteland. <laughs> and, and that felt very resonant. <laughs> so, so yeah, so I think, I think the themes and the vibes and uh, the, the, the what if question that it really went all the way on, uh, I really appreciated. Great. Well, I see that kind of as a bullet point because, or a list of bullet points, because here at Dismembering Horror, we like to dismember each one of those very, very deeply. So <laughs> out of those sort of ones, what's on your mind, Tim? We talked performances, theme, and mood. Oh, man, where to begin? I would say the thing that jumps out to me right away is, I mean, it's all kind of interwoven with with those things. Like from the performance point of view, I I actually quite liked how weird and different people are in the movie because it seemed like maybe there was an, an attempt to sort of have this commentary that a lot of the quote unquote like government official t- like people, the bureaucrats and the and the cop and the you know the people who are sort of potentially on the side of that spectrum, what do you want to call it, are the ones that are kind of getting off the most on this, but not able to engage in it. And so that to me, I was like, that's what I was getting from from Timlin's performance or what's her name? Kristen I call, Stewart? Yeah, I call her Case Stu. Case Stu, right. Yeah, from her performance, I kind of got this sort of commentary. I guess that's what I'm getting at is that the 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 caricature component of performances in this felt very much like a direct commentary at certain big ideas. So like with her, I kind of got this thing of like her being almost representative of the hypocrisy of so many like elected official officials in our world and, and in history where they beat the drum of, of some sort of like dogma and then like in in the privacy of their home are just like completely uh, going in the opposite direction or like they're just super hypocritical in in like between what they say and what they do. And I kind of was getting that vibe from her, not well, also from her colleague a little bit the same thing where he's like showing up and he's super titillated by it, but he's like trying to stay buttoned up, but he can't like he can't resist going up and fangirling over all of it so like there's that whole swath of things and then on the on the artist side of it all this commentary on 
the art world and how art is perceived, especially fine art and performance art and how it's just a very strange world that I, I mean, I've dipped my toe in it over the years, but now I'm with a fine artist. And so I'm like way more exposed to it. And I was like, she of course would not be good to see this movie because she like any slicing and dicing and she's out. (laughs) So good that she didn't see it, but I think she would have been like, Super triggered, not by just the blood, but by the art commentary <laughs> aspect of this. Yeah. Um, so I really like this sort of broad stroke kind of, I guess, storytelling, to be very general about it. Um, but then to sort of pick away at those those broad strokes, the just the thematic stuff of like the like you're saying, the what if questions, I actually really like all of that stuff because like my one of my first reactions too was it, it's almost a little bit of a uh, the title itself is ironic because it felt maybe more accurate to call it crimes of the past being that this is where we're gonna get to if we keep doing dumb things and and i i mean i like all of the themes i like this notion that w- not even going into the metaphor of it, but that we as humans, when we don't have pain anymore, what do we have to, uh, like what context do we have for pleasure, right? So like what is the inverse of pain? What's the pleasure side of the spectrum being based off of? If you don't have pain to say, okay, that that feels bad, so what feels good? Right, and this is taking it so far that pain is just pleasure now. Right, <laughs> and I, I think that's really a cool just construct to, to think about. Um, and then the other, what was the other thing? Oh, and then, the, of course, the, the sort of concept of, of <laughs> man, it, there's so much going on. We can stay one thing at a time here. I've a lot. Of, well, I want to say on all true. this. The but the what the one thing I want the big thing is the thing of the like if you can if we as humans can start consuming our our waste our plastic our you know all of the things that we've done to destroy the earth like that's the next big like social political movement and that that whole idea I love that 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 there's such this um ambiguity of like what's good and what's bad like who's who's the hero of this film right like uh scott speeds speedman actually like is what he's trying he's trying to accomplish ostensibly actually is a good thing but like he's getting hung out to dry because that's so against the norm and like that is the construct for all social movements right like the the most of the population is not ready for change. And so they push really hard against it. And we call people who want change extremists. But like sometimes the change is super necessary and a very important good thing for humanity. And often in history, those good, you know, progressive sort of uh, fights have been squashed. Right. 
And so, so this is, in this context, it's uh, humans evolving to eat plastic and weird purple waste bars. And um, I could see that, how that was an example of, like, is this good or is this bad in the context of, like, this is a solution to a problem of, like, you know, foods, foods scarce now, real food. So you can look at it as, like, oh, this is just a solution to that. But yet that's so that's so depressing at the same time. So we're just like, well, what about the underlying issue here? Like we want to fix, you know, climate change, not just keep building ourselves in bubbles or, you know, whatever these sort of outward solutions yet through this evolutionary lens, it makes you sort of go, okay, well, if you're just evolving to something different that can exist with this just as much generations go by, this is beautiful and normal to them is that such a bad thing? Is it just being nostalgic for this previous beautiful world that we think is inherent to our well-being? Yeah, I mean, at, like just hearing you, like you guys talk about it, like having other brains sort of contextualize it. To me, really, the movies, the everything in the movie points to a very simple theme of the resistance to change, right? Like. People who are growing new organs, like we're like everybody in the movie, well, not everybody, but most everybody in the movie is resistant to that. They're like meddling with that. Well, even the people who are accepting of it as a new, exciting art form, and this is a cool thing, they're treating the organs as like, yeah, because you're new, they're bad. I mean, that got into me, that was kind of the in for the theme that stood out. I don't, I don't think it's a main one, but really stood out to me as interesting was that idea that these people who they're he's he's growing new organs and treating them as pieces of art but it just felt like how they reacted to them it was this this default like oh it's a bad thing remove it you know which i kept thinking like well you don't like don't you want to keep them in i mean don't you what it was also take like entertain the assumption that they're doing something good for you but the status quo the machines that have been built in this new world are telling you that those are bad. Right. So the status quo is saying change is bad. Don't be different. Don't evolve. Well, it was like a step away for me from like, you know, people get appendicitis, get their appendix removed. And that's sort of, I don't know, the outlook to that is like, yeah, no, you do fine. Almost this like, (laughs) you don't need it. And that to me, it's like, no, is it that you don't need it and it's not functional? Or is it that we don't, have a full understanding of it yet, which I think is what it is. I do think it, you I mean, in, in the context of the world of the movie, it's not pleasant when these new organs are coming in, you know, like there's these special chairs to help you like swallow your food and eat, which I don't, it doesn't even make sense the way they're working, <laughs> but yeah, just, it's David Cronenberg wanted the flesh chair. Um, but, you know, I, I think it makes sense that there's, it's a painful evolution. It's not pleasant. It doesn't feel right as the transformation is happening. And Saul Tenser, I think his motivation is spelled out as he is, I guess, going to the cops to be an informant specifically because he doesn't like what's happening to his body and that this is happening at all. Uh, So, so I think it makes sense that people would be against this experience because it, it seems wrong but there's like this birth on the other side of it where, you know, and there is, there's almost like a, 
immaculate birth kind of idea in this movie where it's like the first child born naturally with a plastic consuming digestive system <laughs> it's treated almost like um it's a trope like almost like in children of men it's the first baby born in 18 mm-hmm. years or whatever it's like this shouldn't be possible but it is and because it is so miraculous and would change everything it has to be destroyed and covered up and hidden totally specifically by like institutions like government institutions which is pretty you know big uh recurring thing in our well in everything right (laughs) history literature whatever i just thought that it was interesting that the question was in place at least for me what if the thing that's making him sick is that he's not allowing all these organs to fully like stay with him? He's not letting nature take its course. He's trying yeah. to fight nature and stave off whatever is like destined to happen. Yeah. It's such a snake eating its tail sort of theme thing too, because humans blew up the world enough to make it like to make them into this state that is now growing new organs, but they it's all causal, right? Like they caused that and they're fighting against that. But the answer is to accept that. And that's, what's going to like circle us back around to being in maybe a good place again. So I just like that. There's this, it's, it's, a, it's pretty grim. Let's be honest. <laughs> But I like that. It, it was surprising to me, honestly. You're going to this movie knowing very little about it. Um, I was not expecting an ecolo- ecological message. In right. this movie. <laughs> and, and there to be this almost like feeling of hope at the end or kind of. Yeah, there was it was very, very surprising that that was in there because I thought it was just going to be a total, you know, just sadistic, uh, just gross out. Like, look how depraved these people are, which is all in there as well. But uh, it wasn't just depravity. There was some other higher meaning behind it all, which was very interesting. Or it's I don't know if it's, it's so, so much a... a yeah, 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 the, the meaning is in there. But as far as intended meaning, and just maybe this is just projecting, knowing about like kind of Cronenberg's takes on his own work, but he just sort of sees it all as being real and beautiful and fascinating. So there's less of a sort of good, bad lens over everything, which I think for a story like this and horror... And maybe almost like any kind of good movie in in a sort of sense, like I want that ambiguous ending, the graduate ending, you know, that's what a lot of what great horror does. So, so yeah, I I do appreciate this movie doesn't it doesn't feel like it judges anybody, you know, like like (laughs) there's no judgment for the this person who's cutting up her face or. This this guy who's sewing ears all over his body. It's just kind of like this is just what's happening now in this in this time in the future. Maybe yeah. that's what's maybe that's what's like Cronenberg's real strength is that he really is good at presenting a lot of sort of duality character and and broadly and and so much of how it's presented just leaves it for us to judge, right? Like we get to decide if it makes us uncomfortable. And like I mean there were people who apparently walked out of this and can like in the screenings for uh, of this at the festival and stuff. And apropos, people, the rest of the crowd who gave it a six-minute standing ovation. Right. And I think that that's pretty exciting in a way to, to be like, well, I mean, I guess that's kind of the point, right? Like, le- like you want to affect the audience and 
let them be the ones who are deciding how they feel about it. So yeah. good job. <laughs> you yeah. did it. Well, um, I'd be curious, yeah, for you guys and just sort of, you know, maybe last bit on theme here, but just to 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 at least mention and see what you guys think of this. Like the other main theme coming through as far as I could tell is, you know, in from the lens of this being an art world is just like the really obvious one of he's literally giving his guts over for his art. <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe there's no way to pick it apart than that because it's so obvious, but filling his guts literally yeah. well i i my takeaway of that and why i'm so glad that they made him an artist and that that's his medium is is like himself is that there's the the resistance to uh to allow this process to to come to fruition and have him change into whatever this new evolved thing means he has to let go of his own art Right. And that, in a way, is his livelihood and therefore is wrapped up in the sort of the the concepts of capitalism. Right. Like this is his livelihood. And so I, you, I feel like you could make the case to say that this is also a commentary on how we sh- we could potentially benefit from letting go of those types of constructs, the capitalistic sort of like we're doing it to survive like he in order for him to survive ultimately he has to let go of the thing that is his money maker metaphorical and literal right right so and if you know look at it through then that lens i was putting at is if that is what is making him sick is removing the <laughs> <Right>. origins <laughs> perfect yeah but he's also this mole like that whole angle of being in the like a like what do you call it? an informant yeah is so strange to me because what's what's his goal? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have thoughts about that. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> okay. For, uh, for, the, for the next for the next section. Great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know though. That at the same time, that that does set the mood of it feels like the the sort of the zeitgeist of us being a symptom addressing you know society and approach to issues. Like he's just doing the one thing he knows how, and that is why I don't know. It is kind of powerful by the ending to see him take the bar in that sense, whether it's good or not. I don't know. It's you. You, you see, he's you see, he's kind of working through some stuff. So I picked up on that, and I thought it fit the mood. Well, the bio. Uh, what would you call the beds and the chair and the bioreceptive <laughs> machine things, right? <laughs> I I love this dual sort of ambiguity of that like visually they look organic. And that but they aren't but they aren't, right? Like they're I mean they're biomechanical, I guess. And having them be these sort of weird organic looking things makes I think our brains potentially think, "Oh, that that's good," right? Like that that's good marketing is what it ends up being. It's and, and they feel like that theme gets pushed that, you know, like they're just machines that need to be tinkered with and dialed in. They're 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 not actually necessarily good for us as humans because they're arresting the evolution of the people that's going on. Like their purpose 
is actually not to make you feel like it's to make you feel better on the most sim- like surface level. But that, like you said, is just a symptom catcher. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I, I like this connection that that brand, you know, it's, it's a business that is selling these things for people to feel better, like the mm-hmm. business of healthcare, right? Which is so ironic, right? Because healthcare in the States in particular is not really healthcare. It's more like, it's not even death prevention either, right? Like it's this weird other thing. And so having the thing that's supposed to read your, like, I don't know, make you feel more comfortable is just, it's just a, a, a serviceable product from a big corporation. <laughs> yeah. With its fans too. <laughs> yeah. Well, with or, its or fans. With, with its like cronies that I guess kill people that threaten the business model. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in a way I was like, oh, this is sort of like, this is Amazon down the road, right? Like eventually Amazon is selling us products that tell us that we're cool. Well, it's that we're not good. even amazon down the road it's like apple products now yeah. i mean we all you know you know ourselves and know david cronenberg's all into the idea of technology iphones are just you know an extension of ourselves they're as next stage in evolution they're going to be yeah you know from the iphone 21 to 22 it's going to be the difference between holding one to being in our arm or right. whatever and um, of course the those corporations uh, you know if we keep on the path we're on right now those corporations are the ones who are I mean, this is already true, obviously, with lobbying in the states and stuff. But globally, those corporations become the arbiters of, you know, like squashing the resistance. Yeah, I think it's interesting that also that these these devices kind of cradle, cradle and comfort and soothe like a, a human body that is naturally uncomfortable and in pain and like is not in harmony with its environment its environment because i think a lot of the way we use technology especially right now is like as a self-soothing method you know when we open our iphone 10 times a day or you know 50 times a day to look at instagram and twitter one more time uh there is a kind of a quick dopamine self-soothing function there um so it it does yeah it, it really gets at the idea of there's a bigger root problem and kind of a we're not in harmony with things and all we can do is kind of self-soothe the symptoms um so this all points to you this movie is really thematically rich and there's so much to discuss about it but man i just wish the story the surface story carried me through a bit better but that that's for the next section so (laughs) okay yeah Yeah. these butts hanging on to you i mean just just a bit more on um yeah i mean uh, on this that our relationship with technology and just something that's like so specific with cronenberg it feels like and i just like i love so so much is the how the technology itself it's like not as it's it's not like an they they aren't like ipads uh and iphones because of that organic quality yet the people interact with them as assuredly as we do with iPhones, iPads, it just sort of twists. It's like it's it's so it's like real, but not and twist it just in that such of a way where like when we like see kids who just know how to instinctively work an iPad, it just makes me go like, wait, is that is that weird that they 
can do that at all, you know, because it's like with the, you get that visual where it's like they're pressing that weird, like, uh, looks like a spinal light, bright flesh thing. It's just like the control panel where you just kind of massage it to do <laughs> yeah, but, surgery. But, but us looking at it, it's like, how the hell would you know what thing to push at any given point? But uh, <laughs> the way they do it so assuredly, it just like biofeedback baby yeah it just does so much to highlight our technology with our 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 relationship with our technology can i say one last thing that i liked yeah i mean i've got a lot more oh you do great um this is sort of uh also related to what i was saying before about the sort of ambiguity and irony of all the characters and whatnot but how they present the mother who obviously in the opening kills her own child right like something that we well something that our our society has used as weaponized a quite a lot politically right like the sort of using the the reaction or the visceral reaction that that gives us the idea of killing a child as the opening scene and then like having her be this you know presented essentially as this sort of monster throughout and yet having her calling her own son the monster and the cre- like the creature i think is the term she uses specifically i just think that this whole movie and cronenberg is so good at creating that weird sort of i don't know what a good term for it exactly would be but it's everything is almost a, a double a double edge double entendre flipped somehow on its head thing and i just like this this upside downness that he's so good at Mm -hmm. i mean i'll just say since you mentioned it that opening scene like had me so so hooked from the get-go just because yeah so unique like (laughs) he starts eating just eating the wastebasket yeah yeah (laughs) it's just okay like i i was just on board from there and it's just with films i don't know it's just always seem this way and yet thankfully there are still films that surprise me it's just always like what else can we do what more is there and then just to have an intro like that just with that kind of imagery and context is biting into that side of the is it the trash can i'm like hey here we are awesome (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh we had mentioned you know the overall mood overall which i'll say was great for me and multifaceted that came from the richness of the world i thought like the Greece setting or this not the setting, but where they shot it were like, yeah, Alex, you described it as like maybe a, a near future, but I could just see it as it's just an alternative reality too, you know? Sure. <laughs> it's just anything. So that, that was great. And so um, more on mood and maybe this is a, an early rebuttal to, I don't know what could be a potential doesn't work for any of us, but just, um, the kind of it's like meandering in a good way where it's like i want to get caught up in this just dream like feel which was kind of like you know his film crash and actually a lot like um eastern promises and history of violence where just kind of you just settle into just this kind of okay oh uh, i don't know it's it's like unsettling let like yeah, you can't take your eyes off of it. And just that mix of moods just feels like, gives me that feeling of like, oh yeah, I just had a weird 
dream. It was like really interesting. But, and part of that is just, yeah, as that mood, it comes from, I don't know, like we touched on the performances, but yeah, it's a multi, multi approach to setting that mood. Agreed. <laughs> you know, I kind of felt like, um, like an analogy would be, although he does it in other films, but I, I, it, he has this kind of rhythm to a lot of his films that's sort of more like waves or not even like waves crashing, just like sort of like undulating. Mm-hmm. And rather than, you know, a film like, I don't know, let's say um, something really different, like um, Mad Max Fury Road, which is just seems like like a constant uh, upward crescendo, right? It's mm-hmm. just like running up each stair every beat. Um, and so I don't know that I have a preference. Obviously, one is more like, overt like one style one rhythmic style is more overt but i agree that there is something kind of hypnotic about this particular style yeah which then when it ended i was like oh man it's over (laughs) or yeah yeah it's kind of whoa but while it was happening i also was thinking oh man this is going a long, long ways here. And I'm maybe kind of like drifting. <laughs> I, I, I was completely awake and paying attention, but I also felt like I was falling asleep, which is a very strange experience. <laughs> yeah. And you're saying, <laughs> yeah, that that was a good thing. Yeah. I think that's definitely, yeah, that's a, that's a thing that happens um, in a movie that, yeah, that is not concerning itself with like a really, rigid structure where you know, yeah, we have to have constant dynamics and a constant rising action towards a very clear climax and then like the resolution so that's that's why a movie like this when it ends you're like oh that was the ending because i i wasn't getting the unconscious cues of like okay the third act definitely just happened and now we're <laughs> in, into the finale it's like well that that could have been the last scene or maybe it couldn't have been uh who knows um which is yeah, which is not a good or bad thing, and I, I like a lot. Of, I like a lot of movies that that give you that floaty, wavy, undulating feeling that you're describing. Um, yeah, is that happening more often now, or am I just personally watching more of those movies now? Right, with like between Neon Demon and yeah. Bad Batch and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Like, those are two really good examples. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's happening more, but maybe maybe more films are getting more budget and getting distributed mm. more broadly. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I could think of, like, the 70s films. I mean, THX 1138, That's true. Apocalypse Now, um, Solaris, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, you're right. They're out there. <laughs> yeah. Very much so. It's a thing. Well, I think it may also, well, I mean, Cronenberg is not our generation, but of the the filmmakers of our generation, we are like we're a lot of us tied to that era of filmmaking for yeah. sure. Like we're inspired by it, so it makes sense that you know people like Nick Reffin or oh uh, the woman who did um, the one you just mentioned, Anna Lilia Mirpour. Yeah, thank you. Like I get it. So cool. I like these. I like this style. Yeah, the, the the we're the generation that's equally inspired from those films and Star Wars, <laughs> right? And Steven Spielberg. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. 
Um, cool. I mean, you kind of already mentioned it, but last big uh, what worked for me just to, I guess, second was uh, I was into the performances. And of course, special shout out to K-Stu and her character. Like, yeah, just how you put it, Tim. <laughs> about Timlin um was yeah that that I I just love that kind of um where it's someone who has like an officious role yeah yeah they're the one that's like most maybe like brimming with just sort of like just their sexuality or just something like that's right there like ready to burst and just her doing that like heightened manicness is just so great so great and on top of just that as a performance is, and maybe this is just a counter, um, kind of how it, uh, I guess wasn't working for you that you said the head Alex was um, that it, it, it does something really interesting with settling into the world building. I don't know where it's just like almost, uh, I don't know. I'll get, I'll get into it, but it's uh, in a, I don't know, things of note maybe more, but um, it's like a, a doubling down on the sort of uh, normality of, or it's like the movies just treating the weird, crazy stuff about it just so like normally that's almost banal that um, I don't, I don't know that <laughs> maybe that's not how her character played to you, but it's, the commitment that is there behind it, it just somehow meshes with all that, if that makes sense. At all. The movie the movie is not pointing at the bizarreness of the world or the people as look how bizarre this is. It's just presenting them and and yeah, a particularly manic, strange, yeah, character is not presented as like, look at this weirdo. It's just another person in this universe along with the performance art and yeah, it's all just there. <laughs> yeah, that's that that that's a good way of putting, or maybe a better way of putting what I was sort of trying to say earlier is like like when you present unjudgmentally, uh, then we get to decide, right? Like we're the ones going, oh my god, like I have feelings. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> cool. Well, um, any more what worked for either of you? Speak now, forever, hold your peace. Yeah, including uh, favorite moments of yours, maybe we could touch on. We haven't really done that. So, I mean, one thing that I think I do love about Cronenberg, it was very much there in existence, is just he captures the like the obscene and and like the the titillation and like the sexual arousal of like the wrong like maybe better than any other filmmaker I've seen where it's just, he understands that there is this aspect of human sexuality that is activated by like the idea of like, this is wrong or this is not allowed, or this is uh, in society's eyes is obscene or perverse. Like there is an excitement that is activated in a part of human sexuality by that. And he really exploits that and explores that in his movies, uh, where it's just, you know, we're, we're being presented with uh, bodies and things that are like objectively disgusting and revolting, but we see characters uh, becoming aroused by them. And, and part of us understands because it's like, oh yeah, this is a universe where this is the edge this is the extreme and it like really clicks in a really uncomfortable way that really presents the audience with 
that reality of like, we're always going to be seeking the next frontier of extremity <laughs> uh, in, in this, like in, with our human sexuality. And I just, I, I think it's really, I think it's so interesting the way Cronenberg confronts us with that in his movies. It's like, okay, we know and accept people with full body tattoos and body modifications, but what about someone sewing ears all over their body? <laughs> like, it, it's not that much of a next step, like, when you think about it. It's all relative. Like, yeah. arousal can and is relative in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so, like, it is true that our brains have that thing in them of, like, the more sort of stimulating or uh, exciting, depending on, like, what excites you, like, the further and more extreme you get into that, you kind of build a tolerance and you keep getting more and more extreme. Like, you see that in all sorts of uh, realms. That's what this movie feels like, a commentary on the internet as well. You know, just, totally. You know, just how much how much of our brains, like, evolved in, in maybe completely bizarre and unexpected ways just because of all the stimulus we receive from the internet, you know, we just are so overstimulated in every regard, including sexually. And, you know, what does that do to us? <laughs> like, where are we? Yeah. You know, when we, when we get that much stimulation, uh, what happens to us? And, and this movie just explores the most extreme edge where it's like, we're at a place now where pain isn't even a factor. So the hot thing is to put a zipper in your belly. <laughs> like that's, that's, that's exciting to unzip your zipper. Oral sex. On it. Yeah. I guess you call it that. That moment, that moment in the theater was just like, wow. Oh, so good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I appreciated the movie went there. Yeah. I, I expected nothing less. It reminds me of an existence when there's that moment where uh, I think it's, 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 I forget if it's Jude Law or, or Jennifer Jason Lee, which one licks the port. On yeah. the other one, <laughs> yeah, you know, they have they have they have like their you know their organic Xbox device that plugs into them, and they got a little port on their body, and yeah, yeah it's just it just he really Cronenberg knows exactly he's not afraid to go there. Like what everybody's thinking, he does it, and and then you're like, oh god, like how'd you know to do that? You're right, but that's horrible and disgusting, but also it feels like that's what would happen. Uh, yeah, it's right. really really fascinating that place he goes to. You just got me thinking too. It's it's really interesting how by making this all more like an organic technology, it feels as if like they still have a leg up on us somehow as far as like in their world, they wouldn't have a meme about how everyone is, you know, on their phones, getting sucked into their phones, not talking to each other next to each other anymore. Like that's more distinctly our world is that like screen separation yeah, i don't know that like sucked into the screen is unhealthy thing it's interesting now that i think about it you're so right that it's it's absolutely an alternate reality because the technology is different you know people are using camcorders and right. old-fashioned cameras and there's a you know crt like you know old tube tv as part of the performance art yeah. so yeah it is it's it's, it's a iphone-less world uh yeah it's as if, uh, yeah, an alternate reality where as soon as we reach the most modern technology we do see in the film, like or tech organic technology just became the thing. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty cool. It feels like a it feels like a nineties movie. Yeah, I mean, in a in a weird way. To jump ahead uh, to things of note, it was written in the late nineties. Oh, 
well yeah there you go yeah that's pretty cool <laughs> cool um Oh my, I loved that scene with uh, Case to like, I guess, trying to seduce him or whatever, where she's like, she's like moving closer and closer to them. Corners him in the, in the office. Yeah. So good. Um, cool. Any other little scenes you want to shout out? I, I really, you know, just the, the slicing and dicing, uh, I guess, sex scene, if you will, was, was pretty exciting to watch because I, I'm not very squeamish with that stuff, but I I think being in the theater with other people watching it was exciting. That's yeah. more that's more what I'm getting at is that you could feel people in the theater being like, I don't like this, which is uh fun to be around. Yeah, we are the people in those performance art spaces in the movie. We are those weirdos <laughs> yeah. enjoying enjoying the show. <laughs> I think one guy walked out of of my screening. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so I, I'm pretty sure he did not come back. <laughs> Good to hear. Good yeah. to hear. Got him. Great. With all that, then, I think we can move on to our next section here. What did not work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? <laughs> so i kind of hinted at this earlier but i so it's it's hard with a movie like this because it feels like the movie's intent it's not really worrying about the thing i'm about to talk about which is just like i love a movie that can both give me the thematic richness we're pointing to the symbols uh th- all the discussions that can happen afterwards but then also bothers to give me a compelling through line with the main characters, you know? And I think this movie was disorienting in good ways, but also in ways that didn't feel really like carefully constructed or or like really intentional where we we just jumped to a scene, you know, Saul was always meeting with his police contact kind of out by like a shipwreck or something. Uh, we, We just jumped to that setting and, We'd, we'd kind of suddenly be thrown into a world in which he's an informant, but we never really get a f- feel for why or what his goal is or like what, like his body is changing and he doesn't like that. But like, how is informing on this community going to help that natural, naturally occurring evolutionary situation? Um, and, and I just, I, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of this movie did feel like we just kind of jumped around to different scenes in which I was kind of asked to just take it at face value. And these characters are going to do this now, but until really the Scott Speedman character became more prominent and we got into this idea of this revolution of people who are modifying their bodies to eat plastic and think that's the way of the future that then I felt a directionality to the film. Um, I just wish that the other parts of the film added up in that way and i and i think there i think there are parts of the film that just felt a little bit almost like cronenberg just was uninterested and worrying about that and so he'll jump into a scene with a cop or whatever and i don't feel like this is like a real scene between people that came in from another scene and and came in with motivation they're just kind of here to say what they got to say in the scene to then go to like the next kind of cool cronenberg scene and it was just an unfortunate, like, 
I, I could see how this movie could have it all. Like there's enough here that it could have it all. There, there is the plot does go to interesting places and and has this kind of conspiracy thing going on. And I just it just didn't quite put the effort in to to, to pull me through in a way that felt I don't know like it like it added up or that one scene connected to the next. And that's not to say I don't like wandery movies. You know, I like Mulholland Drive is one of my favorite films of all time. Um, but in that film, there's something about the the construction of the wandering and the mood and the dreaminess that all feels exactly perfect. And I think just a lot of scenes in this movie, they didn't feel perfect in that way. They kind of were just landing with a dud. And then I go to another scene that I thought was like awesome. And then a scene kind of landed with a dud. Um, and so that was my overall, that's, that's why I ended up more on the stream side for me was it was close to being a great wandering movie and felt like it was a movie that was there to be discussed and to have themes and images and moods, all that's great. And it's just like, you were so close to also having a story that could pull me through in a really, you know, compelling way. And it's almost like, that just wasn't the priority. And so it was kind of like the last piece that wasn't integrated with the rest of it. So that's my little, that's my overall feeling. Um, but obviously that's not the goal of every movie. And this movie has led to already a really fascinating discussion. So it's doing a lot of things right. And maybe a compelling plot that pulls me through scene to scene isn't what it really cares about. Yeah. yeah. I, I kind of feel you like, especially with um, a reason this was, yeah, meeting in the alley scenes, I'll call it with the informant. I did find like, I just kind of either kind of tune out or, you know, which at first is kind of fine. But then when it's like, we have a scene just like it, where we're kind of like, oh, we're back here again. We're back here again. We're back here again. I, yeah, I agree. That was um adding to the slog in a not good way for me, but you know, I'm always going to clarify this with my butt where I'm like, okay though, now maybe now that I know what it is and I'll, I'll rewatch it. Like there'll be enough more context for the world and story for me that like whatever they're talking about, will just have a sort of richness that I'm really sitting up in my seat for, or, you know, it's just something that's like, okay, there's actually is more story going on here. Cause I just would kind of tune out. And I don't know. I find that often happens. That's, that's where I was clocking, especially in those, yeah. Meeting up in alley scenes like I was zoning out, which is that's usually when I'm like, wait, what's going on here? Like I shouldn't be zoning out, but I am. Yeah. I, I definitely wonder about that storyline. Cause it almost does feel like it feels like an element from like a, a, a previous draft that got like that, that storyline kind of got chopped down or out mostly but they res- like they tried to sort of retain some of it so you had this counterpoint that represented like the big brother world out there but it doesn't feel quite right and i think part of why it doesn't feel right is because if you are an informant if you are in that sort of the, the that that brings automatic stakes to you as a character. And it doesn't seem like that plays out in any real way for him as a character. Like, he doesn't become suddenly under threat because of the reveal to anybody that he is an informant, so that that's not 
a part of it. And it's not like the, you know, like um, another movie that feels kind of in the same like meandering thing, but like specifically has a through line is like the conversation where you do have this guy with a point of view who's trying to figure a thing out. Like nobody's really seems to be trying to figure a thing out in this movie. Yeah. And yet he does. Like, well, what's the cop's goal? Like what, like what, right. like what is, what is ultimately the goal of the state in this movie to track down Scott Speedman? Right. In the latter half, uh, I, that is where I can start to grok what's going on. I'm like, okay, so there is this movement to, uh, I guess, accept evolution and eat plastic. But like, even that is like, why, like, what does the state know about that? And like, and like, what is the problem with that actually? Like, like, what is the state's philosophy that is so opposed to some people eating plastic? Well, actually, so, okay, hang on, hang on. I've just had a, a revelation. <laughs> Not that this, I think, this doesn't, like, read particularly well, at least off of the first viewing, but remember that the cop is the person who says, we put all of, we got to the kid's body first. Between the point of the mom telling Scott Speedman that she had killed him and Speedman showing up and taking the body, the, the, the authorities got to the body first and they planted all of the organs with tattoos in the kid. Mm-hmm. So really what the movie is saying is that uh, what's, uh, what, what's the main character's name? Tensor? Tensor. Yeah. Right. So what they're saying is that Saul is a total patsy the whole time. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't even like he thinks he's doing something for the the greater good or whatever. But he but doesn't he say at some point he's like, I'm just doing this to like he has some line. He says he, something just kind of vague about like he thinks it's wrong that like like he doesn't like what's happening to his body. Right. Like it's right. Right. He just doesn't like what how things are now uh, it was was what i got so he thinks that he is using the authorities in a way like for his own self gain yeah but in reality the whole time he was just being used by them to get to this point to have this public thing like they used him to as a propagandist right that's right. that's their goal but that's not Great. It's not super strongly like like the hammer does not come down where you go. Oh shit! They got him. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't click into place. And I, I think, I think what's frustrating about it is like like I think I said before, you're close because yes, this that's a great setup. To you know, you think this is the premier performance artist in this space. That's the person that is dedicated to this kind of you know weird new frontier of body horror art to have them be an informant and to be actually against whatever this movement is, this avant-garde thing. Great. That's an awesome setup. And and then, but yeah, but what are the stakes? What happens if he's found out as an informant? What, what does he hope the authorities are going to do with the information he gives them? Does he envision a world in which all performance art of this type ends because he thinks it's actually wrong? Uh, you know, like what, what are his morals, that are leading him to lead this double life. Um, so yeah, that, that's where it's just like, yeah, there's, there's, there's a beginning of a great compelling surface story here. 
that would be awesome because then it, that would really suck me in and pull me through. And you wouldn't have to jettison any of the vibe, mood, uh, think piece elements. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just kind of like a, it's like a, I, it's like, I wish, I wish that that had been invested in a bit more because you've almost got it all. And it's just, yeah. it's just almost there. And it sounds like, uh, if it had had those things that are missing for you, that would have just ultimately added up to clearer stakes maybe is what it comes down to. Well, I think I just, I just would have been more invested in my experience of watching the movie and just been more just uh, you know, at attention, you know, and, and, you know, I, I think I wouldn't have those periods of the movie where I go into a lull that didn't feel like a intentional lull. They, they just felt like lulls where I was like losing interest. Right. I, w- I was just trying to see if that could be just also described as clear stakes, what you were saying. Yeah, no, I think, I think clear stakes and clear motivations for the characters so that, yeah. so that I am, I am on edge maybe in a scene where I'm worried that Saul Tensor is going to be found out as an informant, but that could be, that could still be the exact same scene with the exact same other stuff going on, the exact same symbols and thematics, but you, but I'm also on, on the edge of my seat because I know what he wants and I know what this person wants. So I just, yeah, I think I, I, I'm always a fan of movies that can do it all. You know, that's, that's always my thing. So if, if you, if you don't have to sacrifice your mood or your vibes to also give me a really compelling surface story, like give me give me it all man um and, like, and, and there, there's a balance because you know obviously if you invest too much in just like you know up in the ante of the stakes then yeah you're going to lose some of the mood um so yeah it's a balancing act but i think i, I think there's a few tweaks you could make to the script that could make it a more uh balanced experience that that i that i would have preferred i think it's it's missing an element that say you know, Brundle Fly has, which is like in the fly, we really, really clearly know what his intentions are, like what he's going for. And you see that just disintegrate and he turns into this other thing. But his 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 actual intentions and motivations never change. Right? Like his he has a clear goal and kind of circumstance changes around him but he stays very kind of like one track and i'm not saying that a character has to stay on one track by any means but when you don't have a clear sense of what at least his his initial (laughs) goal is i think it's hard for us to get on board now having said that i also wonder if that's sort of a product of how a person like Cronenberg at an older age views the world. Cause this is also an older character, right? Like this isn't a young, you know, ready to go like change the world scientist. It's this artist who's been suffering for a long, long time. And so, okay, that's cool. But I still feel like not having the intention somehow somehow in there for us to chew on it it does hurt the overall like i don't know path yeah and i just i mean yeah maybe this isn't so much as an excuse because a first viewing should be a good first viewing but i just feel like maybe just i think it is all there it's just maybe i'm gonna miss it because (laughs) yeah (laughs) of whatever because you're distracted by 
uh, his what, what's the actress's name? Kesu. No, not Kesu. The other yeah, actress. Leia. Yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, she's pretty distracting. She's so unique. Yeah, and her performance is really. I don't know. It's almost hypnotic in a way. No, it, no, maybe it's it's not just her, but like you're when you're just taking in these the weird chair that they're in, <laughs> yeah. and more so just all the themes that we, we were talking about. It's like my brain is flying all over the place that I'm gonna miss some little piece of dialogue on a first totally yeah. that could help elucidate what where his attitudes and goals are at. The one other thing that I, I'm on the fence about is so there, there's like this this movie feels like a nineties movie in, in a lot of ways, including the, the way that Cronenberg, you know, creates this technology. Um, there, there's something about the devices that feels very eighties, very nineties, which on the one hand feels totally right. And I like, and it feels that, that's almost how I know it's a Cronenberg movie is because the fleshy devices feel old in that way. But then part of me like wishes that he was a little bit better with, cgi or with special visual effects and could give me give me a like a 2022 version of old cronenberg like like just a little bit extra where the Mm -hmm. chair isn't just obviously just like a very simple puppet that just has like a couple (laughs) moving parts but like i I just just the part of me that just wants like the full-on movie experience wishes that there was a new just like slightly more advanced Cronenberg goo machine that I could see. And I feel like I was getting like a retro throwback, which was fun. Mm-hmm. And like, it, I get it and I like it, but, but it's like, Oh man, I like, I, I have seen this before this, this kind of aesthetic. And I was just like, w- just wishing there was like a little extra 2022 magic on top right. of it. Like that could, they could sell it a bit more. Like when they're, when they're attaching like the arms of his like cradle bed to him. I'm just like, you're just attaching like this unmoving, like static putty stuff. Like this is not <laughs> really a thing. And I, and I wish that it was like grabbing him as they put it on him, you know, or just yeah. like, so a little extra something to like, give me a little like, Ooh, yeah. Like this is a movie. And like, the, right. this, this is a real thing. It's funny. Cause I think he was kind of excited to use CG, uh, but it was only in the sense of like, Oh, we can use CG to replicate how this, you know, basic looking or, you know, this non CG looking thing is versus combining them is kind of what you're right. Yeah. I, I, I wish, I wish there was like, because there's some directors that are really masterful at still retaining what feels like an eighties or nineties aesthetic, as far as things feeling all, you know, practical, but knowing how to use just a little enhancement to just edge it over into the magic, the magic side of things and not just like so clearly a practical object or yeah, or a bad CGI. It's an interesting challenge. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's not easy it's not easy and, and and i don't think cronenberg is that interested also in like you know pushing right. the envelope with visual effects yeah <laughs> um but yes. but just selfishly i would love to see cronenberg objects rendered in the best possible technology <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally. That'd be awesome. great well uh that's it for what did not work i feel like we can have some fun things of note here you guys ready for that sure cool all right here we go Things of note. Things of note! 
This should be interesting. Just because it's kind of going off of stuff we were just saying that I thought was interesting about how this fits into his career and just sort of like keeping track of the evolution of his style and like what he might be interested in at any given point and just not, you know, care about <laughs> by now. He's just doing his thing. It's just so interesting because like Shivers, which we watched, is like pure movie like high premise horror it's like uh it's like a a slug induced zombie outbreak in a high-rise apartment right (laughs) and that's what happens you know and uh sure there's the thematic stuff going on too like all great horror but it's, it's it's primarily that and then we shift to you know the well the the fly is another good example you know all kind of really high premise horror, but then like Videodrome, The Brood, Dead Ringers, and uh, Naked Lunch. Naked, well, well, yeah, that's a little different, but Scanners. Sure, um, yeah. They, it's, it's, that's, that's what I think of like, that's most familiarly as quintessential Cronenberg, where it's like, we have maybe now what's on that far end of where we're at now with like this film, of the ideas and weirdness and which (laughs) means a lot of things, but to keep it short combined with like, there'll be some sort of chase aspect or like clearer Mm. antagonist, bad guy of the corporation and someone's getting privy to it all. I don't know. It's just really interesting, I guess, to sum up how I feel like there's the extreme end of shivers, the extreme end of crimes of the future. And you can clearly see the in-between in his middle films. Oh yeah. He did Kronos too, right? No, uh, that's the, that's Guillermo del Toro. I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking of something else. There's like a beetle. Yeah. I think that's, is yeah, that the, Kronos, you know, that's del the Toro. del Toro but, one? But naked lunch. Has naked lunch. <laughs> I, I love naked lunch. That's kind that's of the one exception of my favorite though, movies. I guess to what I was saying, as far as that's like, you know, uh, completely like what the hell is going on at a certain point um i'd be curious for you to see more of some of his work alex yes uh, no me too i would like to go back and see more of his work uh because he is really interesting and and i i do like subversive films and and you know i i remember videodrome you know i i did like and and because it went to these places of just yeah the body and the porousness of the body and like the, both the grotesquerie but also the sexuality of it and yeah i, I do find that space that he operates in really interesting cool you have seen that one great great i'd uh love you to see crash too um, yes crash is probably the next one i was thinking about watching which, just because it's been compared a lot to, it gets brought up a lot when people are discussing this movie okay um, yeah. maybe because it also premiered a can and also had like walkouts and stuff yeah um the brood could go could go on and on um well alex our guest did you have any things of note for that you brought to the table here yes yeah, so one thing i wanted to note was scott speedman <laughs> just like when he, his name came up in the opening credits i was like scott speedman what was the last time i saw him in anything and i think it was do you remember the movie underworld <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's like, wasn't he like kind of a werewolf? And Kate Beckinsale was like a vampire, and it was like mm-hmm. vampires view werewolves kind of a universe. He was the hybrid. Or was that oh he's the hybrid? Yeah. Something <laughs> weird. Anyway, that movie came out when you know 
I don't know, was sophomore in high school or something. And I remember like having a crush on him at the time. So I think I saw that movie like multiple times for some reason and thinking he was like really cute. Uh, so it was, it was like a fun blast back to like high school when suddenly it was like, Oh, that guy, like, what, where, where's he been? He's been in shows and he's done other things since then. But I just remember him as the guy from underworld. So yet not expecting him in this context at all. <laughs> right. Like, like I would not have yeah, thought that that's who you cast to play this role, but, but he did a good job. And I feel like he actually embodied this kind of sad, you know grieving father who also has this revolutionary mission uh really yeah really interesting casting and i thought he was well cast um so that that was that was definitely a thing of note because i i did not know he was in this movie and and i didn't expect i didn't know anything about his role or what what role he played in the story yeah i had no idea he was in this movie but i will say that i suspect that Either the casting director for this movie or Cronenberg saw Speedman in the third season of the show You because he plays essentially a grieving father and he does a incredibly good job. He's very like you're like, oh, well, this is, you know, this is a new thing for you, at least new that I had ever seen him do. And he really like nailed it. So. Maybe this, they were like, this is the, yeah, just grab him. He, he he knows what he's doing for this role. And I had no idea who he was and didn't recognize him from anything and don't think I'd ever heard his name before. Well, you weren't a big, what was his, his breakout, Felicity or something like that? You didn't, you didn't like see that? Underworld three times in high school? <laughs> Sorry. No. <laughs> I'd like to say a thing of note is the score, although I probably should have said it was... something that worked but Mm. that it's howard shore who is an amazing composer but he's one of those i feel like he's one of those composers that you don't know you know you know what i mean like he did like uh yeah silence of the lambs right like he's so good i mean lord of the rings everybody uh, isn't from lord of the rings but he's done so many other just random movies which is like i love the score of big Big. No, I was just gonna say, yeah, Alex, you're kind of our, our composer guy. I know you're a big uh, Lord of the Rings fan too. So yeah, I thought it's funny. Um you probably know him, yeah, from Lord of the Rings, but then if you go back to this and watch more Cronenberg films, nope, Howard Shore. Yeah, he, he's he's a Cronenberg regular. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. So I did watch a handful of interviews with different actors and David Cronenberg and just want to report back on some fun findings. Um, I thought it was really funny where um, he, he, the, the interviewer was talking to the actors about kind of um, how it was acting in this. And then I was talking to, you know, Dave Cronenberg, um, sort of addressing some things that the actors brought up. Uh, apparently, like Kristen Stewart, she was saying like how she just had the feeling where so much of the time, you know, she just didn't know like what was going on or is kind of hard to keep track of like this whole world and this thread. And so she'd kind of have to... Um, you know, look for reassurances along the way. It just thought it was so interesting how, you know, David uh, Cronenberg put it, Cronenberg put it, he kept like, he just would just assure the actors that like whatever they're doing, like that the actors just in general, like if they're acting, good acting, they're doing something unconsciously, like always. And just what I thought was so interesting was how he made the comparison to, hey, that's 
like life really, where sometimes in life you just kind of go around and go, what the hell am I doing? What is it? What am I doing here? <laughs> and then whatever it is you're doing though, that's, that is the right thing. And I just thought that was a fun comparison he made. <laughs> How did the actors feel about that direction? <laughs> they, oh, they, then they said when they, when they watched it, they like absolutely loved it, you know? And uh, yeah, they got it all then. Yeah, I mean, there, um, there's there's a type of performance he gets that is that is really it's like yeah, what's the right word for it? Yeah, the the the, the actors are they're there in the scene and they're delivering their lines and and they're emoting and they're feeling, but yeah, it doesn't it doesn't feel like highly focused. I guess maybe the word for it in, in a good way. Like, mm-hmm. like, like it, it creates that, it creates that vibe of we're all kind of floating along here and well, uh, not really sure where we are. And, and the performances also kind of add to that vibe, whether the actors realize it or not. Well, it's interesting because there's actually a mix going on where Vigo, Mr. Mortensen, on the other hand, he said he perfectly understood the story and the character and everything that was happening at any given moment. But what uh, he said was that because the shoot in Greece, it was like over 100 degrees every day. And just everything about it was this, this kind of like hot, sweaty, you know, just just that just kind of atmosphere, which, of course, they were all getting excited about as for the film sense that gave the film that atmosphere. But what he said, I thought was interesting what it did for his acting was it made it so each line was very deliberate and he was very present with it because it was all he could really focus on at any given time because of those physical conditions. So I think that carried through the performance and that carried through for this mood of like the, the sleepy gumshoe or some scenes. Like whatever uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, um, it's interesting to hear Cronenberg give uh, his take kind of on, uh, iPad technology, you know, because of course, already talked about, and like you can kind of guess, you know, he's oh, it's an extension of ourselves, like we'd said. But it was cool to see him give the take where he thought uh, that an iPad was perfectly suitable to watch a film on, um, you know, as opposed oh, I to hearing a, about this. a theater screen, because he said <laughs> it's like a book. It's still really immersive because uh, the resolution is super good and high. The colors are good. But you're, what's unique about it as opposed to a bigger screen is you're holding it right up to your face. And so he says that combined with you still have good sound, then that's that does the trick. I, I agree with that assessment. Yeah. <laughs> a, good, a good iPad with a good pair of headphones, that's a great way to watch a movie. Yeah, it's cool. Um, and then this is the one I'll, I'll recommend. Um that you watch if uh, you're interested, anyone listening for just a better, good, it's, it's a longer interview, of course. Um, it was called Q on CBC, was the YouTube channel, so Canadian organization, but it was cool. It was like a full hour interview for the guy to get into it all. Oh yeah, you know, you you were curious. I thought it was interesting. He wrote it in the late 90s. Yeah. And um, so like, why now? And so he had put it away thinking, oh, it's no longer relevant. But the producer who regularly works with um, came back to him about it and just gave him that classic. Well, I think it's more relevant than ever <laughs> now. Agreed. Which, yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, and then this was... Um, 
this was a take on it, which I did not uh, on a, a story and one of the themes going on. So this was not a main thing. So this is not like, don't read this as like, this is what it's all about. But he went on this kind of explanation about how making a connection to microplastics and gave the, gave the statistic that like 80% of people on earth have, you know, microplastics in their bloodstream. And like, you know, I, I've heard that and think of that in terms of, well, you know, maybe that's an explanation for a lot of uh, our woes, our health woes. Yeah. I know there's a woman who's like written a whole book on like, that's her guess for the contributing factor for like lowering sperm counts and all that in men. But David Cronenberg, he was just kind of like, put it more as um but you know as far as we know you know it's it's there's no real obvious thing going on so it's really interesting that like we have melded with plastics in that sense and he also pointed out how um we uh how there are bacterias that can eat plastic and sort of drew that connection as maybe that's a conceivable thing through that for humans to somehow turn it into something we could eat we are uh, mostly and- bacteria yeah, and and companies have produced um, a kind of plastic that we can eat and provides protein. And so he he said this all seems ridiculous, but it is the weird reality. Wow, <laughs> it you know it really is like it, it 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 we we think we our bodies and everything about us can be separate from our environment, but it's all all goes in and out, including the plastic. <laughs> yeah, or sometimes stays in <laughs> yeah never leaves us ever again yeah mm. um it was fun to hear him say oh re- yeah real quick the the Im- the main impetus out of all these themes for him uh as the starting point was the idea of body art and permanently altering the body so if you're curious of this the thing that really all stemmed from um and for how his films often do shut out audiences i just thought it was so interesting to hear him say uh, if you make a movie that shuts out any audience members, then that's considered a failure. So it just sort of made me look at this lens of his work as like, in his view, he really is trying to do like all the movie things and not alienate viewers and make his movies like a digestible wait, wait, experience. He, he was saying he considers it a failure of a movie if it, if it shuts out an audience member? Yes, yes fascinating in his eyes just you know you only have your own taste maybe just really just you know goes with what he writes which is commendable in a certain way but for him he's he's trying to hit that bar and by his standards uh he's doing that apparently you know (laughs) i think this movie could have done it a bit more it was close (laughs) um it was cool uh the interviewer kind of pressed him on uh you know his interest in why you know, the darker side and the way he shows that and um Cronenberg was like you know I don't see it as darker side you know and the interviewer pushed him and was like wait come on really like some of these things in your movies and Cronenberg he, he had a really good comeback for that he said no well the thing is it's realistic it's accepting things as reality just not thinking in terms at all of like dark and light but yeah, this is just reality. Like that's it. That's not I mean, kind of like we already said. He's not putting yeah. a lens of morality or anything over it. Um, and then kind of yeah, last fun thing I had thought that was interesting from that interview. He said this main like he's um 
atheist, whatever, whatever, but his his main kind of like view of human hum, the nature of humanity, yada yada. He says that the body is the essence of human existence, which makes so much sense that he would view it that way. Uh-huh. It is, he says, like that is like what we are. Like he just really doesn't think in terms of soul and mm. things like that. He's just like everything's the body. And, you know, that's where he also straight up mentioned technology is ultra human, an extension of what we are, and how all that brings out, again, not not good or bad, but how all that does just bring out the best and the worst of in us. And it is a great, beautiful thing and a horrifying thing. Yep. Wise man. All right, then. So to sort of wrap up our, our things of note, we th- I thought it'd be fun in the spirit of Alex, your podcast be on the screenplay to end on... Some lessons. What is a lesson we learned from this film? Let's end with you, Alex. Um, I'll I'll start because I'm interested in what you say and want to be excited. Okay, <laughs> to hear what you have to say. Great. <laughs> um, I, I it was kind of what I already mentioned in the what worked section, but I I really latched on to pretty early how when you have uh just such a strange world and like how he said how the actors though they take it like just oh no this is just how it is this is all banal this is normal it's like everything it's it's like it doubles down there's the lesson to like double down on whatever is the thing that you're doing if it might be off-putting or sort of hard or sort of new or difficult like no just take it further like have the actors just say more of these these crazy things you know more of these crazy technologies that are there um completely different film but similar lesson used i guess was like uh la la land where damien chazelle says okay i know like musicals are not something that audiences are used to nowadays so we're going to just start it with the most vibrant you know explosive musical number in the whole movie from the get-go be like that's a way to like double down on what it is the movie is doing up front um yeah so that's throughout the movie you can look at it through that lens and um i just i love that and this is good good interesting takeaway tim mine's kind of similar actually in watching this and thinking about cronenberg's films and why i like them i kind of realized that like you know i've i've made a handful of films now and in every case, to some extent, I've kind of, for lack of a better term, played it safe. And I'm getting to this point now where, where I'm realizing, especially because I'm inspired by Cronenberg in particular, that like you really, really, or I really need to swing for the fences and like go for the, the craziest version of the thing I want to make and like, just push for that because like, even with the film that I'm finishing right now, which I'm very proud of and I'm really excited about what we did. There's a part of my brain that watches it now and goes, Oh, but we could have gone so, so like, I'm not saying a little further. I'm saying we could have gone into like another stratosphere with the exact same premise setup themes all of the above and gone 
completely nuts with it mm -hmm. and like had these sort of Cronenberg-esque like monstery sort of like practical effects, crazy stuff happening. And it's the same film. It would just be this, it's like the, the, the completely nuts swing for the fences version of that film. And I think that for me, he's always been one of those people who was just already doing that. And as a filmmaker, the types of films I think I'm most inspired by and want to make are ones where you really are leading with that attitude. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go completely for the nutso version of this thing that I've been, you know, trying to create. And yes, you can ratchet it back to a degree, but like swing for the fences for sure. Alex, this movie ends really well, I think. You know, I think it's a great example of how to do a slightly ambiguous ending, but but end on exactly the right note to have your audience walk out in that thought provoked mood and, and to discuss. And I just, I just love the restraint and the perfection of the final scene where you've got the buildup of she's recording him as he does this, maybe, maybe final performance art moment of his life. If he dies from eating this plastic toxic waste bar, um, and just ending on the shot of his expression and the tear in his eye is just like great because it's, it can be read so many ways. It can be read as relief as finally I am embracing my body as it is as a plastic eating machine and I'm no longer fighting it. And I feel relief or it's like, I feel relief of like, dying or you know whatever it's just a beautiful final moment that doesn't answer any questions we don't we don't get a confirmation of if he lived or died or what his reality is moving forward it just ends on that perfect moment and i just i love when a movie knows where to end and how to end and this movie definitely knew how and where to end is there a specific uh lesson as far as how it did that you can put it can you put it that way um, i think it, i think it raised a clear question you know raised a clear question of is is he indeed you know one of these people that is naturally evolving to eat plastic basically uh it, 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 has he been fighting this natural evolution i think the scott speedman character explicitly says that he's like are you fighting what is naturally trying to happen um and and that final scene is framed as kind of like it, it is a, it is a culmination of his character arc in a way, because if his character arc has is going from somebody who is fighting what his body's doing to him, he is removing the organs. He's against this thing that is happening. Uh, the ending is him kind of coming to acceptance or coming to peace with it. And that's what matters. And so I appreciate that the final image of the movie is that expression of peace of acceptance of like kind of relief and that's the answer that's the thing that matters not whatever happens next or if he was indeed able to eat the plastic <laughs> and uh, digest it properly um cool. and i just I, I love when a movie knows how to end on that note as opposed to the literal kind of here's the literal answer to the story note that's what i was saying earlier the graduate 
type in. Now. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> cool. All right, Alex. Well, uh, you're already talking here. How about you want to give us a recommendation is how we like to to fully wind down here? Um, I just rewatched The Northman last night on 4K Blu-ray and just continue oh. to really appreciate that movie. And Robert Eggers is a filmmaker. And you, we, we, you were just talking, Tim, about, you know, you appreciate when directors just go hard or go all the way or go nuts. And I just, I, the Northman is, is my favorite kind of movie in some ways, because it's a director who knows that he's working with a big enough budget that it's gotta be like somewhat accessible, but he's like, if I'm going to make a Viking movie, it is going to feel like what Viking consciousness must've felt like, which is extreme in every way. (laughs) And I just, I just love how hard he goes in all aspects of that movie. Um, and, and really embraces just the like amoral darkness of it all. Um, and yeah, just deeply appreciate him as a filmmaker and the Northman is this great example of a, a really interesting director getting a hold of a lot of money and, and spending it to make, uh, I think a a vision with a lot of integrity. I, mine segues too well from that. I gotta yeah <laughs> recommend Dead. I'm so bummed I missed it in theaters. I really wanted to see it in theaters, but just rented it. The new Michael Bay joint Ambulance. Or- oh no! I am so it curious is. about this movie because I've heard it's like Twitter is a buzz about it. It's the the one where Michael Bay uh, discovers drones. Yes, the <laughs> trailers t- have lots of like. <laughs> The tiny drone is flying between objects and through this building. and Oh, it, it's <laughs> oh like my as, God. if they were ever made for any filmmaker, you know. But as far as just like, it's just exactly how you're putting Alex, like a, a, a full crazy, you know, does it all experience. What do you want from this? But then, um, I, I mean, I mean, he's he's Michael Bay. He's doing his thing. And we get all the practical effects to boot that are just so much fun for it. And LA sets always cool. Anyway, I won't go on. The trailer was such like a such a quintessential Michael Bay experience. Uh, but, in, but in like, but in like the best part of Michael Bay, not the worst part. There's a worst part of Michael Bay. <laughs> I mean, Transformers sequels. I don't know. I don't know. I <laughs> I'll always give him props for being a filmmaker who's a distinctly as, has a style and as imitable and Bayhem. Yeah, sure. Anyway, I don't want to make this a Michael Bay defense. Tim, what was your <laughs> recommendation? Um, well, you know, I was hoping beyond hope that it would be the new Obi-Wan series, but it's not because I didn't really like what I've seen of the Obi-Wan series enough. But also on Disney+, Plus, there's a new Marvel show, Ryan. <laughs> You like it feels like you recommended a new Marvel show every episode. Now. We've gotten to that point. Yep. <laughs> There's always a new Marvel or a new Star Wars. Yep. Which Marvel show now? Yeah, Tim? It's Miss Marvel. Okay. Ms. Marvel. Miss M yeah. Anyway, so it's uh but it's great. It's great, guys. Let me just explain to you that this is the first Pakistani superhero. Okay. And she's a girl, a teenage girl from New Jersey. And she's Muslim, and she's just trying to get by in the world. And that, the inclusive inclusivity and the design of this show is so goddamn good. It's crazy. I was, I was going in thinking this is this show's not for me. Like I'm not the demo for it. Whatever. It's awesome. 
Like it's it's <laughs> it's integrating visuals in in very much a sort of similar way that into the Spider-Verse did, which is an animated movie, right? And this is not animated. So it's doing this integration design thing that is so cool. So visually, it's really, really fun to watch. But thematically and, and inclusivity and all of these things, it's also really nailing it. So I, I'm psyched about it. And all the people who were moaning and groaning on Twitter because they thought she didn't have her appropriate power set and that they were dumbing down the character are wrong. And they proved them wrong in the first episode. So shut up. Got it. And watch it and enjoy it. The goddamn discourse. Yep. Oh, it's cool. It's fun. Cool. Well, that is it then for episode 181. I believe we are on here. Sounds Alex, right. thank you so much for joining us. Anything uh, exciting you got going on you want to tell us about? Uh, nothing much at the moment. Just just working. <laughs> yeah, uh, Alex is uh, a podcast is great. I assume you've probably heard it. So um, yeah, we are. We are having a blast seeing movies new and old. And uh, I really, really enjoy that we're keeping that up and loved coming on this podcast. This was a blast to talk to you guys and and (laughs) to really dig into this movie. And I I think I do have a deeper appreciation of it now. And I'm more interested to revisit it than I was before. Still a stream. You don't want to change that. (laughs) I would. You know what? I think I want to watch it again to to get whatever else I can out of it. And I would pay $3.99 for that. Ding, 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 ding. All right, triple rent, Triple rent. (laughs) Triple rent. Cool. It it evolved over the course of the podcast. Great. Sometimes it does. Just like those organs inside of you. Totally. (laughs) I grew grew a new organ. (laughs) Well, uh, we'll be back next episode where Tim's going to recommend dead She-Hulk. That's very likely. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone. So... In closing, whether or not you are fighting what is naturally trying to happen, (laughs) thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.